Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Digital Industries Changing the Game, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's digital strategy and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. The buzz, well, this is kind of corny. Well now, okay, the emphasis is on well. The recent fall in the commodity prices has hit upstream oil and gas companies the hardest, impacting their cash flow as well as their ability to continue investing in high-risk projects. Now, those of you who are not familiar with this industry, I have a little background here that should explain everything. Oil and gas industry is usually divided into three major sectors, upstream, midstream, and downstream. The upstream oil sector is commonly known as exploration and production because it encompasses activities related to searching for, recovering and producing crude oil and natural gas, and it includes searching for potential underground or underwater crude oil and natural gas it includes drilling exploratory wells and subsequently drilling and operating the wells that recover and bring the crude oil or natural gas to the surface. So upstream is basically about wells, where to find them, how deep to drill, how far to drill, how to design, construct, operate, and manage them. That's just a little background. So what is this all about? Well, because of what I said in the opening, a shift has occurred from what we call volume to value. As well operators are focused focusing on improving the efficiency of the wells they have instead of on new drilling. What can we expect to see? Massive shifts in global demographics, wealth and consumer engagement, fueled by, hey, we like to talk about technology, fueled by technology adoption. These will create new growth markets and reward agile companies that turn rising market complexity into growth opportunities. That's the name of the game. I have a wonderful panel going to help explain this so everybody knows it and understands it. Whether you're in the industry, whether you're just curious about it, this is a very interesting topic. I know you're going to appreciate all of the insights we share today. First up, I'm going to be welcoming Valerie Jalefka from Accenture. She'll be joined on the panel by Chris Niven at IDC and rounding on our panel is Stefan Lozon from SAP. So let's do our usual start. Let me see. I have a wonderful quote here from Valerie from Dale Carnegie. Dale Carnegie was an American writer and lecturer and the developer of the famous courses in self-improvement. This is a guy who started out extremely poor and he was in sales and he wanted to become a lecturer. Long story short, he ended up Evolving the Dale Carnegie course, he tapped into the average American's desire to have more confidence. By 1914, my goodness, that's a long time ago, he was earning $500 every week. And if you do the math, that's about $11,800 in today's dollar amount. So here's the quote Valerie has selected from Dale Carnegie. Quote, most of the important things in the world have been accomplished by people who have kept on trying when there seemed to be no hope at all. Valerie Jalefka, how are you? Welcome to Game Changers. Thank you. I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us. This is a complicated topic. I'm brand new to it, so I'm hoping you can uh, level set a little more for us. Was I said at the beginning the correct about oil and gas and upstream, Valerie? Was that appropriate? Absolutely, absolutely. And the the, the focus on the exploration and production piece for upstream has been uh, 
key importance in the industry over the last 18, 24 months. Thank you. Now, I don't want to divert you from this wonderful quote you selected from Mr. Carnegie, who was uh, certainly a pioneer in his own way, starting out with absolutely nothing and writing a bestseller, How to Win Friends and Influence People, back in 1936, and it's still a bestseller. So, Valerie, how does this all relate to our topic today of oil and gas? So, to me, the cycle of the oil and gas business, the, the, the booms of the 80s, the normalizing through the 90s, the big boom in the over the last 10 years, and then now, you know, another bust period. But it's all driven by an industry that doesn't give up, that, that keeps moving forward, even when the economics are bleak, even when the investments are large, when regulations are changing, that they're still you keep going because because stopping is not an option. And I liked the the piece you shared about, you know, how Carnegie tapped into Americans' desire for more confidence because I think it's that confidence and in particular a lot of the confidence we see coming out of the American oil industry that helps keep the industry pushing forward even when we're down, you know, 50, 60, 70% from where oil was just, you know, 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. Is, is this something that the casual listener to, we're a business show, Valerie, we're heard all over the world on the business channel. Is this something that the casual listener would say, yeah, I've been hearing about those oil prices. I didn't know much about wells and drilling and exploration. Is this something that's known to the general population? Or are we talking basically about insider information for industry aficionados, if you will? I think this is really information that's for the public at large. We're all used to what we pay at the pump for the price of gasoline, but what's Mm -hmm. not always understood are the pieces that come well ahead and the decisions that are made years and years and years in advance of that product ever showing up at your neighborhood gas station. And so the, the understanding and the appreciation for what happens in the upstream part of the business is, is something that impacts everybody in the world that you know, drives a car, rides a bus, gets on a plane, um, rides a train. And so having a a perspective on on what that means and how that impacts not only, you know, their transportation, but also the the world economics and and ultimately politics that also come into play is is important. And I think it's something that everyone can can dig their teeth into and, and, and understand a little bit. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. I very much appreciate it. Yes, I I drive a sports car, Valerie. It's garage most of the time because I work from a home office. But when I have to go for gas, which is about once every month, maybe, um, I I go to the same station and I just hope that the price is good. But I'm very aware. Wow, that was four dollars and eighty seven cents last year. Now it's two dollars and ninety six cents. But the one down the block is a dollar ninety three. And you always kind of run that over in your mind. Should I drive three blocks away to get five cents a gallon less? But that's a whole other conversation. (laughs) Thank you, Valerie. Very good to speak with you. And now let's welcome our second panelist waiting patiently in the wings. He is Chris Niven at IDC. And Chris has sent us a quote from Albert Einstein. You all know Einstein lived with with our world until 1955, a German-born theoretical physicist. And E equals MC squared is the world's most famous equation from Albert Einstein. It's a mathematical formula with the power to transcend the barriers of language and culture. I love that. And we love his hair, of course. Here is the quote Chris has selected from Mr. Einstein. Look deep into nature, and then you will understand everything better. Chris Niven, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. 
We're delighted to have you. Chris, are you a big follower and fan of Mr. Einstein? Talk to me. How'd you find the quote? <laughs> Actually, I, I like quotes in general, especially from people who have been successful. Uh, it's always good to find out what's back in their minds. And I especially like this quote by Albert Einstein. So tell me, how does it relate to our topic today, Chris? Sure. Well, when you think about it, first of all, I don't want to get into the religious debate, but basically you can either think of the world as having been created by just chance, or you may believe that there's some intelligence behind the creation of the universe. And what's interesting to me is that if you look at how the Earth actually operates, and of course, I'm not a physicist, but... Uh, Einstein's theory of relativity and that everything is dependent on something else. Everything's mm-hmm. relative. And in the um, oil and gas industry, I see that uh, the industry is moving towards a tightly integrated environment and criteria is getting to the point where we've got data about all our different activities that can be modeled and simulated so that we are able to predict different things that are going to happen. And if you look at Mother Nature, they have like this intrinsic central nervous system aligning all the planets, solar systems, and such. And I see that actually happening in the oil field where it's being digitally transformed into this tight, integrated environment where if you touch something at one end, like drilling, it's going to flow all the way to the point where oil gets produced and begins to flow. And and the last thing is that I see cognitive kinds of processing and analytics bringing intelligence into the oil field and even into uh, robotics so that at some point it will be autonomous. Very interesting. How autonomous would it be? Just quickly, Chris, what do you see? I don't want to get into predictions because we'll cover those at the end of the show, but how autonomous? Are they going to be out doing the drilling and reporting back and setting the price at the pumps? Yeah, well, let's put it this way. They're progressing. The oil industry is known to kind of be laggards in the acceptance of new technologies and innovation and I would say, look at what man can do on the moon. They can even drill for samples and come back. And oil companies are very much incented now to automate, to leverage robotics to go where man can't go. And that's the the future. They're progressing. And I'll tell you a little bit more later on about uh, some of the robotics and such, but at, uh, in the next few years, they will be autonomous, especially underwater performing inspections and hmm. welding. And you know, I see rigs actually capable of moving themselves to the next site, which will, say, reduce costs and uh, dramatically improve efficiencies. 
Thank you very much, Chris. Interesting. I'm looking forward to hearing you talk about robots, and I'm thinking of underwater uh, movies where you've got people struggling for that oxygen line or struggling for the gold or where the well is and how dramatic it will be with robots. We'll have to get to know their personalities when we start the movie, but I digress. Thank you, and let's bring on our third guest. He is Stefan Stefan Lozon, L-A-U-Z-O-N. He's a director for Upstream Oil and Gas for the Oil and Gas Industry Business Unit at SAP. And Stefan has sent me a quote from Winston Churchill. You all know Sir Winston Leonard Spencer Churchill. He had so many letters after his last name that it was almost like he had a whole other name. K-G-O-M-C-H-T-D-D-L-F-R-S-R-A. British statesman who was the Prime Minister of the UK from 1940 to 45 and again from 51 to 55. And I don't know how many people know that uh, Winston Churchill was the first person First person must be in the U.K. to be made an honorary citizen of the U.S. That's certainly interesting. Here's the quote Stefan has selected. If you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> Stefan, welcome. That's a surprising quote. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me here on your show. We are delighted to have you. Talk to me. That's a very interesting quote. If you are going through hell, keep going. I think it's wise wise words, but talk to me. How does this relate, relate to our topic about oil and gas and upstream challenges? Well, I think it's a little bit about how you have to maintain that, that tenacity to just keep going. Um, and now, as we heard from, from Valerie earlier, it's, it's, a, it's an industry that does see these booms and busts, yet it's, it's how do you plow forward? How do you make sure that you're doing the things that you need to do to keep, you know, providing the energy the world needs? Um, what's interesting, though, when I was reading on this quote, it's actually not 100% certain it's attributable to Mr. Churchill, but there was a variation on this I thought was also quite interesting, where it was a dialogue between friends. So a person said, I'm going through hell. And the friend replied, well, keep on going. There's no place to stop. (laughs) Can't stop. We have to keep on moving forward. And how do we take and make the changes we need to make to to keep on going and, and keep on producing the world's energy? So tell me something. Keep on going. Is this an industry that's for the brave? I, I haven't asked this of Valerie or Chris, and we'll get into it later in the show. But, Stefan, is, is this an industry that has leaders who've been there for a long, long time? Is it, in, is it a fam? Are these family-run businesses? Are these industries where you would want to see or expect to see millennials saying, wow, I want to work on new oil rigging, rigging and, and new drilling, and I want to see new opportunities in this field of oil and gas? Or is this something that's just run by people who've just been in the industry forever and ever. What's your observation? Oh, it's very much a mix of all the above. Ah. <laughs> but it is in many ways for the brave when you think about it. You know, just, just, the, just the activity of, of trying to identify sources of hydrocarbon beneath the Earth's crust. You know, we can't go there and see it ourselves, so we have to make approximations. Uh, we're taking enormous risk with enormous amounts of capital. Uh, each time we're putting a hole in the ground and hoping we're going to get an economic source of hydrocarbons. So certainly, certainly a business for the bold from that perspective. But at the same time, we're seeing a, a transformation, um, you know, within these companies where they're looking at the evolving and changing technology and saying, wow, we need to be able to ensure that we're harnessing this to go forward to the next generation. Uh, with one company recently, and, you know, they were worried is because, you know, as, you know, this is, you know, you, used to be where you went to work was to work on the latest technology capabilities and another thing well we're trying to recruit millennials and younger persons yet it's a place where they go to work to work on old technology 
The new technology is what they're having in their day-to-day lives. How do we take that back into how we run our processes and run our businesses today? Point very well taken. We run across this, uh, Stefan, when we talk about finance departments, when we talk on some of our other shows, Financial Excellence with Game Changers. We hear this all the time, that younger people entering the workforce are just in it for a little while, expect what they do on a consumer day-to-day basis in their own lives to be part of the workplace processes. So I guess we could say this is ubiquitous. ubiquitous. They expect to go to work, and they expect to have the same ease of processes and access and digitization of what they do. Is this something you would, you would agree with that? Generally, yeah, I think so. But, you know, but that's where the opportunity is. And mm-hmm. how do we can transform this industry to take advantage of new capabilities? Who, want, who wants to do the transformation? I'm just going to go back to you for one second before I make the rounds around the table and find out what you're all drinking in our little What's in Your Cup Today segment, our icebreaker. But, Stefan, who is asking this question about... When are we going to transform? How are we going to do it? Is this coming from government? Is it coming from industry leaders? Is it coming from consumers or any or all of the above? Primarily coming from industry itself. And hmm. so we're looking at companies that are saying, you know, looking, taking a hard look at where they are, given, given certain macroeconomics and saying, okay, you know, we want, we're going to keep on going. There's no place to stop. But what does it mean to keep on going? And how do we transform? And those the discussions we have every day with, with companies that are taking that time to really think about not just where they're, how they're going to get, not stop from where they are, but where they really want to go and how they see a need for, for transformation. Thank you very much. So a future vision and a drive. Thank you very much, Stefan. I appreciate your indulging my questions. And Valerie Jalefka, I'm circling back to you, and I'm going to ask you where are you calling from and what are you drinking today or what are you planning to drink after the show, if there's something not too interesting in your cup right now. Sure. So, Valerie Jalefka, I'm calling in from downtown Houston, Texas, the oil capital of North America. And I started my day-to-day with a mango blueberry mint smoothie. So, it's been something I've been, love smoothies, love making them myself in the mornings before um, before work as I get my day started and, and like to just experiment with different flavors. Great way to get in some extra vitamins and nutrients and usually a little bit of spinach or wheatgrass thrown in for extra health and flavor. Mm, what does wheatgrass taste like? Does it add a, Whatever a you add it to. It's actually just a little bit sweet. It doesn't have a whole lot of flavor on its own. Well, sweet is good. And by the way, I have to say that Valerie is a managing director in the Energy Industry Group at Accenture, and that's why she is here with us. Thank you, Valerie. Welcome again. And Chris Niven, we're going to ask you where you are, what you're drinking, but I must mention that you are a research director for IDC Energy Insights. Shout out to our friends at IDC. So, Chris, what are you drinking and where are you? Well, um, I'm at the home office in the Energy Corridor of Houston. And I'm not drinking anything quite as fancy or sophisticated, and I probably don't even remember the name of the drink she made for herself, but it sounded <laughs> good. <laughs> I'm a coffee drinker. I've had my third cup, and now I'm moving on to water. Uh, coffee is nectar of the gods, and I need it to wake up. Well, I'm glad. Do you have any particular favorite blend or brew? Do you use a machine? Do you use a drip? You French press? How do you make that wonderful, powerful coffee, Chris? You know, usually I will go to Starbucks, but I do like the flavor of their coffee, and I have some instants, and 
you know, when you're in work mode, uh, you just need that coffee to keep you going with a little honey in it. Okay, you've heard the phrase, love the one you're with. It sounds like that's what you do with your coffee. Okay, (laughs) thank you very much. Nothing personal intended. And Mr. Stefan Lozon, tell me where you are, please, and what are you drinking today? I'm also in Houston, Texas. Surprise. Surprise. (laughs) How's the weather down there, by the way? I'm in New York, and it's uh, alternating sunny, a little bit of clouds, and I'm guessing it's probably in the high 80s and, and kind of pleasant out. So what's going on down there? Oh, typical Houston July day, so we're in the mid to, to high at 90s and good amount of humidity, but <laughs> <laughs> but, no, but no, I'm 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 pretty boring in my drinks. It's generally just water. Nothing uh, wrong. Water with here water. next to me now. Um, okay. But but you know, I didn't make an exception. Had a bit of fun this weekend. We're out with the kids on the weekend, and we stopped by a place and had one of those fancy uh, soft drink machines where you hit buttons and the different variations on flavor, so I decided to indulge in a cherry Coke with a burger with the kids. <laughs> well, that sounds like a lot of fun. That sounds very all-American. I appreciate that, and I, don't, I want you to realize and understand, Stefan, that there's nothing boring about water because they don't let me have any caffeinated beverages on radio show days, and this is an eight-show eight week for me, for SAP, so... I'm not going to be near a coffee anytime soon. So I have, I, well, I like to say cool, clear water in a cool, clear cup. And I've got a green straw. Green stands for money. And that's what the oil and gas industry is hoping it will continue to be profitable and see the green. So on that note, I'm going to say we have three very interesting panelists. As you've already heard, we have Valerie Jalefka, managing director in the energy industry group at Accenture. We have Chris Niven, research director for IDC Energy Insights. And we are rounding out the panel with Stefan. Lozon, Director of Upstream Oil and Gas for the Oil and Gas Business Unit at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break, so don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back. Michael, out. SAP, co-innovating alongside customers, is taking its industry-specific solutions into the cloud. Join us to learn how to make the world run simpler in the cloud without missing a beat. It's a tall order. Digital Industries, Changing the Game brings together the people who are making it happen. We'll delve into very specific industry trends and also solutions that run across disparate industries, all to help your business succeed in your mission. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of a digitized world. Digital Industries, Changing the Game is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. You're listening to Digital Industries, Changing the Game, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now let's get back to Digital Industries, Changing the Game. 
Welcome back. Our topic today is oil and gas, the digital energy revolution challenges in upstream. I'm so pleased to be talking to three people who really know what this is all about. First up, we have Valerie Jalefka, Managing Director in the Energy Industry Group at Accenture, joined by Chris Niven, Research Director for IDC Energy Insights, and Stefan Lozon, Director for Upstream Oil and Gas for the Oil and Gas Industry Business Unit at SAP. We're getting ready for our roundtable, and Valerie, you sent me some terrific notes here on trends. Let me just read a little bit and then I'm going to ask you to take about two minutes and expand this for us and then we will invite Chris and Stefan to chime in and share their thoughts on your proposition here. So Valerie Jalefka says there are three new trends for $50 oil, and she'll explain that. One is innovation. The upstream independents drive a large portion of the innovation agenda in oil and gas. Then she says number two is a shift in perspective. Outside of oil and gas, industry leaders are shifting to the customer perspective. Well, that sounds familiar with a lot of the other industries we talk about in Game Changers. And the third trend is the only way out is through. And she, (laughs) Valerie hears this in yoga classes. She takes and she teaches and she thinks it's on point for oil industry today. Very provocative. Valerie Jalefka, why don't you tell us what this all means, please? Sure. Thank you. So when we talk about innovation at $50 oil, what does that mean and and what does that look like? And I really think a big part of the innovation that we see comes out of the upstream independent oil and gas industry here in the U.S. And the independents are smaller oil and gas companies. Um, Some of them you may have never heard of, but they're the organizations that are the source of the new technologies. In the shale boom, they drove the great land grab that then left the larger oil companies wondering where they were going to get their acreage from. And then a lot of the early initial development and risk-taking that created the, 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 the increase in U.S. production that we now have at our hands. Um, Gregory Zuckerman, who's a great columnist for the Wall Street Journal, has a book where he delves into a lot of the history of the, the onshore or the U.S. onshore shale boom. And he talks about that you, you just can't underestimate the American ingenuity and our ability to reinvent the business and to be successful at any price point. When I, when I started in the industry in the late 90s, oil was at $20 a barrel and companies had to be commercial at $10 to produce it. And so that was 20 years ago. We're now at a point where we're going to figure out how do we get commercial at $50 a barrel and how do we make that potentially our long-term landing point. Then we start to look at customers, Um, and this is something that I see more outside of the industry, but as the world gets more digital, as we get more digital and more connected, there's a shift in how we engage the customer. And I think the customer in the oil and gas business is interesting because, you know, it's not just the customer at the pump, but it's also, especially in the U.S., the, the royalty owner, the landowners, how you engage the local communities, and what will the shift be that exploration companies will make in terms of how they engage this type of customer. I think that will be critical in the U.S. going forward because we have to have the buy-in of those stakeholders in order to be able to, to develop the resources that we have um, at our disposal. And then finally, there's definitely a theme here. The only way out is through. So Mm -hmm. it was one of my my quote was very similar earlier. Stefan's quote similar as well. And and what we're seeing, you know, around the world, so well beyond just the U.S., is that oil companies, large and and small, have 
you know, hunkered down. They have weathered the storm of the commodity prices. They've cut costs, they've reduced headcount, and they've maintained production levels. So we're still producing, and we're still producing at steady levels, and they've replaced the reserves. So again, finding new reserves that are commercial that can be produced to replace the production that's happened. And what we start to see now is that the leaders have taken the steps they need to redefine their future at this new price point. And some of them have even started down a transformation path to say, okay, in five years we want to be this type of company, and in 15 years we want our automation and robotics programs to have these components. And I really think that we have now moved from just surviving the last 18 months to preparing to thrive again, and that the the organizations that come out, the winners of the downturn, will be well-positioned to lead the industry for the next 10 years. Thank you, Valerie. Very, very interesting overview. I, I think you've covered all the high points. I'm going to invite Chris Niven and then Stefan Lozon to comment. So, Chris Niven, I'm going to ask you, do you agree or disagree with all or most or anything of what Valerie said? What's your perspective? Give us your two-minute overview. Sure. I, I basically agree with most everything that she said, and I will, uh, I guess, add to her comments not in any particular order, but I'm especially interested in the innovation when you look at what's really driving oil prices and such. It's obviously uh, political in nature as well as uh, market-driven. Uh, the demand for oil will continue to, to rise in the future as more the population increases, especially in countries like China and India. So the, the demand is there. And mm-hmm. when the price of oil dropped, I like the a quote by one of the CEOs of a major oil company when he was asked, well, uh, what do you think about $60 oil now that it's 50 And he said, if it's oil is going to be between $20 a barrel to $120 a barrel, and we have scenarios for how to deal with all the above. I think that's a really important point, that mm-hmm. regardless of the price of oil, you need to be prepared for the worst case and best case. So companies, when the price of oil drops significantly, we ran multiple surveys to find out how oil companies are dealing with lower prices. And the the top IT initiatives that came out of that are that oil and gas companies are actually looking to digitally transform their business to the third platform over time and that they believe they're going to realize huge benefits from cloud, from big data and analytics, from automation, and a couple of things, not surprisingly, is they plan on applying a lot of pressure to oil company, I mean, to vendors in oil companies so that they will lower their prices. So a lot of renegotiation of contracts going on. Now, so from an innovation standpoint, and uh, yeah, I like the comment that the independents seem to be able to move quickly. A, a small company could... Uh, leverage cloud applications more rapidly than a large corporation because it takes time. And so what we see is that oil companies are currently modernizing their environment. 
they're making use of what they currently have. I see quite a bit of data management, master data management, and, and then you've got IoT developing platforms so that you're able to monitor the uh, efficiencies of equipment in the oil field and devices and SCADA systems so that you'll be able to automate those environments. So, yeah, innovation is very important. And the comment about the customers and the independence, I, I agree with that. Thank you, Chris. Very insightful. And, Stefan, I know you're patiently waiting to chime in. So your thoughts, please, Stefan Lozon. Yes. Uh, again, full agreement uh, with what we've heard from Valerie and, and Chris. You know, when we think of the innovation, it's... It, and we look at the, the sort of the last boom, and it's very much driven, you know, through the, the smaller independent companies, you know, in, in being able to unlock the, the shale oils, uh, here, particularly here in the United States, um, but it's not being taken to other countries. As, and it was a change in the sense that it really allowed to be able to very quickly ramp up, ramp down production. And so, so that was that. That's where a big change when we think of traditional oil markets being driven out of OPEC in the Middle East. That's going to remain an interesting variable going forward as you look at markets generally. But it really was that 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 capability and technology, and and throughout the history of the oil and gases, you know, in many ways we think they they in some ways they kind of laggards in some areas of technology, but in other ways they're very much at the forefront of technology. When we think about how we can go produce some ultra deep water over you know two to three miles worth of water before we even hit the bedrock, and then going down you know many miles down below to get to the hydrocarbons. Are looking at different types of formations we didn't quite see before. So it's, in many ways, it is a very much an industry-driven, a technology-driven industry. Mm-hmm. It's just not always in the way you'd expect or see it, but it, it's how we keep on being able to keep on producing and supplying the energy that's required. Thank so that, you. So that, so yep. that, that's you know that that becomes interesting. Move forward now is, is now, it's in the latest change in prices with these significant drops is, again, it's how do they quickly then tackle the supply chains, tackle their inventories, mm-hmm. tackle, you know, the days it takes to turn around and drill and complete a new well. And we've seen all these things being reduced dramatically, but the company is saying, okay, we've been able to make these, these great one-time efforts. We want to make sure that we're bringing in the right changes in our process and capabilities to make sure we sustain that. So, you know, when prices recover, you know, we're, 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 you know, it, 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 it's, it's great. We're able to take advantage and harness that full capability, and, and they will swoon again, yet we want to make sure we're still maintaining that full capability going forward. Very interesting. While you were speaking, all of you, I, I did a quick Google on $50 a barrel, Valerie, and I just want to read a tiny bit from a June 7, 2016. This is for me and, and others who are not familiar with how this all works. This is a Wall Street Journal article. Let me see if I can find the title. NY NYMEX crude settles above 50 for the first time since July, and that's referencing July last year. U.S. oil prices settle above $50 a barrel Tuesday for the first time since July on expectations of continued declines in supply. And then farther down, it says prices have nearly doubled since hitting 13-year lows earlier in this year as companies have slashed spending on new drilling and unplanned outages in Nigeria and Canada help reduce the global oversupply of crude. Valerie, since this was your topic, I'm just going to circle back to you. Does this uh, this little sn- snippet I read make sense for our conversation? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and the rebound from oil in the 
20s, really up, back up into the 50s was seen as a tremendous relief to the industry. Um, because in the 20s, as um, Chris pointed out, we have to have, the, the industry has to be able to plan for all of them, but things are very painful in the 20s. And now that we're back up into the 50s, uh, it's more sustainable for the industry overall. Thank you very much. Uh, good conversation, and I'm going to move it along here, make sure we get a lot of a lot of good content here. And so, Mr. Chris Niven, I'm looking at your notes here, and I know there's something you really, 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 really want to talk about, and you dipped your toe in that water or that oil field just a few minutes ago. It's robotics. Let me just read a little from your notes. You say trends in robotics in the upstream oil and gas industry, and Chris predicts by 2018, the average selling price of an industrial robot we're talking robots, not barrels of oil, will be one-fifth of what it is today, but it will have five times the capability. Autonomous robotics will appear in the oil field, leveraging new sensors, tools, and capabilities like machine vision, force sensing, speech recognition, and advanced mechanics. Chris, we'd love to hear more. Talk to me. Sure. So we mentioned that automation is very important, dealing with low oil prices, no big surprise, and there's various ways to automate. Um, it, and it's a complicated process. I just want to plant the seed to give you an idea how difficult uh, automation can be. Um, true story, large company, oil company in Midland, Texas, the CEO wanted to know how many oil wells he had. Well, he got different numbers. How could that possibly be? And so he went to the land department, and they said, we have an oil well when we have an XY coordinate. And he went to accounting, and accounting says, no, we don't have an oil well until we have an AFE budget. So obviously something's messed up there. Make a long story short, so they basically put in a platform for managing that data with a master data management kind of uh, model to it. Now, also in the oil field, you've got this big movement around IoT, you've got real-time systems. These are devices, equipment, SCADA systems, compressors, uh, and controllers, and that kind of thing. That's becoming an automated environment. In fact, you've even got mesh networks now, so that if a human being or even a vehicle drives in, they're automatically connected in the network around in the oil fields. So that's one thing that's happening now. In addition to that, there's harsh environments, and especially in offshore, we see mm-hmm. these underwater submersibles that Stefan was referring to earlier, capable of going hundreds of feet, thousands of feet, um, where humans really do not do very well. And today, most of them are tethered, these underwater submersibles. Uh, These are robotics. What that means is they've got lines on them. They've got uh, communications cables. So they're not really self-independent, self-sufficient. So uh, oil companies are investing uh, quite a bit of money uh, into the further design and the advancement of these underwater submersibles so that they don't have to be tethered. They can be independent to the point that they're even getting to where they're having intelligence embed into, embed into them, which is really exciting. And one example of that that makes sense is 
Uh, imagine an oil rig with an intelligent drill bit, but knows how to get around mm-hmm. certain geological structures. So I see intelligence coming into the oil field. Uh, plus, with modeling simulation, they're able to um, model, for example, an oil field with criteria about production, PDPs, PUDs, etc. And the idea is where the objective is to determine where we want to drill next. Where's the next best place to drill? Well, that's going to depend on multiple criteria. What are the costs? What are the expected returns? How deep do we need to go? All these things can now be modeled and simulated. And finally, uh, from a robotic standpoint on the drilling side, there are companies with oil rigs that can actually pick themselves up and move down to the next site to be drilled. They're now drilling multiple wells on one well pad. They're doing it assembly line fashion just in time. So all this is coming together. Thank you. Very interesting developments, Chris. Appreciate that. Uh, Stefan Lozon, love to get your two cents or uh, two barrels worth on, on what Chris just said. What do, you, what do you see coming down the pike with autonomous robotics? I'll take the two barrels of the two cents, please. <laughs> I'll, I'll have them delivered with a, with a good, strong drink of something interesting to you, not to worry. Uh, it, 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 again, when we think of where we have to go explore and, and produce, you know, very, you know, deeper and deeper water, uh, more further north up the Arctic Shelf. So again, environments that are really not conducive to, to humans being very present. So it's how do we look at these more autonomous ways of, of exploring, finding, and producing? Uh, so it's again that, that, that technology drive. Or I even think of onshore North America, maybe not quite the same extremes of weather, although depending where you are, what time of year it can be. But there, it's even just to think that I have a multi-skilled operator that goes out every day in his truck, and he has a set route from well to well to well. Well, is that really the most efficient way of moving that multi-skilled operator around? You know, with the advent of, of better sensing, video capability, um, even drones, you know, it's, it's much more efficient, but also much more safe to have a person only go to where they need to be and have the tools they need to get that work done at that point as opposed to doing those routine rounds. So it's very much not just an efficiency, but it's also very much safety-driven to make sure that we're keeping our people safe and reducing opportunities for incidents. So that's where we're seeing a lot more of these sort of capabilities being introduced to help minimize you know, that, that, that other aspect or dimension around people. But also, it's now looking at other types of technologies. You know, where com- oil companies are looking at things like 3D printing. So, when I think of all my spare parts inventory and parts inventory, I need to actually have maintain large volumes of inventory, even just do my own printing, just in time to go repair a certain piece of part that I need at that point, depending on the mm-hmm. criticality or the type of part that is. Or again, bringing in all these, you know, machine learning and other uh, artificial intelligence to be able to make sense of all these, these sensors and and instruments out there to, again, help drive that decision-making, where to drill that next bill, best, that next well, when to, to make what kind of inter- intervention or what kind of producing well that's going to really allow me to hit a profitability window or a target. So these are the things we're starting to see companies really start spending time and trying to better understand how they get best harness these new capabilities. 
Thank you, Stefan. Very interesting. Valerie, love to get your, your uh, I'll give you two cents a barrel too, and you can hum two bars of a song and tell me what it is at the same time. Valerie, what do you see as far as the Chris's introduction of the concept of autonomous robotics in the wells? What do you see? I think, I think it is sooner rather than later that we'll see this in the industry. Um, we've already seen, we've talked a bit about drones, but I was at the lake this weekend and somebody's flying a drone overhead and it was there last weekend as well. And so now a lot of this technology is so available that it's, you know, affordable and accessible individually. So as we look at how that really starts to pick up in the industry, you know, folks have been playing around with it for years now. Now it's commercially viable. It reduced um, risk, it improves individual safety, um, and it lets you get more places faster. So I think this increase in automation is coming. I think it will be drones. I think it will be smart equipment. I think it'll, it'll also be, it'll show up in ways that, that, that we haven't quite imagined yet. But I definitely see this, this shift to automation and robotics in particular as being significant in terms of you know, reducing the headcount out in the field um, long-term because the most, you know, inconsistent element of any operation is the people. And so it's, you know, mm-hmm. consistently proven that if you take the people out of the equation, you've got a safer op- operation. And so the oil and gas industry is very focused on, on safety and consistency. And so as the technology continues to evolve to support that agenda, we'll see it become more and more of just that's how we do business now. Thank you. And by the way, Valerie, somebody told me on one of our shows last week that the uh, everybody who's in the millennial demographic or cohort or whatever you prefer to call it has their own drone now. Have you seen that? Everybody, it's, it's like the perfect birthday gift you have to give someone if they're lagging, if they don't have their own drone. Is that, is that a surprise, I, I think there is some truth to that. I think there oh. is some truth. I think, I think there is. Yeah. Wow. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Who, who is that? Stefan? Oh, Sister Fine, I was just going to say, is even, you know, we're, we're, we're actually looking for a new home right now, and just about every other posting when they have photos, it's like an aerial view, which, of course, can only be done by a drone. Mm-hmm. Wow, 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 wow. I'm, okay, I'm, I must be lagging. I have to talk to my kids who are way past the millennial age themselves. <laughs> but <laughs> my son just bought his own plane, so I, I think he's, he, he's not interested in a drone. He just got a plane, so I'll have to talk to him about whether his children are going to have drones or not. So let's go to uh, Chris. That was a really good topic. I want to make sure we have just a couple of minutes left before we go to our real predictions round, the formal what do you see in the crystal ball round? And I want to make sure we cover a little bit from Stefan Lozon's talking points you sent me. Uh, Stefan, I'm going to read one of your points here, actually two of them, and, and see if you can just expand for us, please. You say, recent macroeconomics have oil and gas companies also now looking at how to update technology within the enterprise to drive standardization and low operating costs. And then you add one more that intrigued me. You say, Digital oil field has been a term in the industry for over 20 years. I'm not sure if those two go together, but how can they drive standardization and, and lower their operating costs inside with the technology we're talking about? Stefan, love to get your insights. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's interesting today, you know, when we, we in, the, in the IT world, it's all around, you know, digitization, creating a digital twin and, and driving more technology and automation through digital technologies. Yet digital, you know, for an oil and gas company is not a new term or word. 
uh, it's something they've been applying in, in their fields over time for you know, 15, 20 years, trying to add more sensors, more automation into, into their fields and trying to you know, drive those models. Yet, when we look at what's happening, how they run their day-to-day business, it's not been great that same push. So when we think or talk about digital today, it's not just what's happening out in the fields with the producing fields, but it's also how do they just run their business today? And you look at a lot of them have systems they've had for these, you know, 10, 15, 20 years with a lot of customization and a lot of uh, uniqueness built into it. Yet a lot, of, a lot of times it's really just, you know, things I need to do running the business that doesn't differentiate me. So how can I drive better standardization? How can I drive, you know, just a, a simpler way of doing things so that I can then focus on these more interesting technology areas we just talked about uh, in the points from Chris, so that I'm not just worrying about how to, how do I just run my how do I just run my business. Now, at the end of the day, paying a bill is paying a bill. Whether mm-hmm. I'm a large company or a small company, I don't think it's going to be uniquely uh, to me or differentiating to me in how I do that. And so that's that's a lot of the conversation now that we're seeing with 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 industry about how we start taking these sort of concepts that we've been trying to apply out in the operations world, back into how we just run our day-to-day business. Thank you, Stefan. Valerie, love to get just uh, oh, about one-minute comment from you, one from Chris, and then we're going to formally start the prediction. So, Valerie, what are your thoughts about what Stefan just introduced? So I think Stefan is, is spot on. So digital oil field has been around for 20 years. Every large oil company has run a major digitization program at some point um, in recent history, and they've always struggled with, what do I do with all of this information? And I think part of that was because the technology existed to collect the information, but the technology didn't exist to process or analyze the information, much less do it in a timely and cost-effective manner. So what I see happening now is the technology has caught up and that we can actually do something with all of that data, whether it's data we've been collecting for years or data that we started streaming six months ago. There are now the tools and the platforms and the capabilities available to use that information and actually turn it into knowledge to make decisions. Thank you, Valerie. Chris Niven, I can give you one minute for this, and then we have to just go right back to Valerie for predictions. Chris, what do you observe about what Stefan shared, please? Yeah, uh, very exciting in that we, uh, everybody in the oil and gas industry, that, that's like the major topic. And the comments were great from both of the other speakers in that, number one, it, it really is about the business. Number two is the technologies are really just now there to be able to bring all this together and to do these things we're talking about. And so the most important thing for, I think, everybody to consider, and that is, after just interviewing 30 oil and gas professional IT people, they tell me the main thing they're looking for right now are IT initiatives with business impact. So what Stefan was saying about the business, I would say that's the most important thing. Understand what it is that you're trying to accomplish. What are your business objectives and strategies? And you always do that whenever you do an architecture. And, and then you decide what technologies to implement. The technologies are there. They're still struggling with the big IT initiatives with business impact, but that's the key. 
Thank you very much, Chris Niven. Valerie, I'm circling back to you. I can give you one minute. It's time officially for the crystal ball predictions round. Uh, I'm not sure what minefield they found the, the carbon for the crystal ball. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was just rolling around somewhere. Maybe I have my industries mixed up, but that just dawned on me as something that would be very interesting. So, Valerie, why don't you take a look? I like the year 2020. We're now in 2016, hurtling toward the end of 2016 already, as I like to say. Uh, what do you think will happen? happen significantly to change we're talking today about the digital energy revolution challenges in upstream and of course the oil and gas industry valerie at accenture what do you think will change and what year do you think something significant will happen go ahead and predict one minute please so one of the things that i see shifting um hopefully sooner than 2020 is that we're able to completely connect the oil field one of our key barriers right now is still access to, you know, an internet connection, whether you're out in remote West Texas or up in the Arctic, having that constant streaming connectivity that we as, you know, people are now used to happening is something that actually is not yet a business reality. And so I think the ability to have a completely, truly connected oil field, both, you know, we call it the assets in the dirt, the assets on the water, and that they can connect to your head office will be transformational. And I see that happening within the next two years. And that will be its own transformation generating opportunity. Thank you very much, Chris Niven. Exactly one minute predictions. Go. I agree with Valerie. I, the main thing, the big impact is going to be having the, the resilient oil bill, which means it's tightly integrated and you've got intelligence so that you're able to combine data from all different applications and systems. I think the architecture will look like you'll have a master data environment with information about drilling, production, accounting, so that you can run your business or most of it using dashboards. I believe you're going to have an IoT environment complete with real-time systems Mm -hmm. so that you're able to monitor your assets to prevent downtime and also to predict unwanted events like stuck pipe uh, before they occur, to be able to monitor the entire oil field using drones also to find leaks in pipes. Then you'll have the ability to use content management systems to see engineering drawings and maps where those pipes specifically are located, you're going to be able to walk into an oil field with wearable glasses, take pictures of Mm. potentially uh, dangerous environments, share that with the center of excellence so you have immediate response and, of course, robotics going places and doing things that man can't. Chris, I want to thank you. Great. Very picturesque. I, I was picturing all of that. Very exciting. Stefan Lozon, I apologize. 30 seconds for predictions. We're out of time. Go. Okay. One plus one, Val plus Chris, and then we got my prediction. <laughs> we'll keep it simple. But no, uh, seriously, it, it is going to be a lot more of automation technology transforming how they run their day-to-day business, Being able, you know, always trying to find ways to do more with less and bringing these capabilities around around the video, around voice command, around machine learning for predictions and dealing with data, really driving a business in real time, not just the things they control in their four walls, but across a digital network between partner suppliers and engineering companies and 
and other stakeholders that that drive the oil and gas business and building it in a resilient way, knowing that you know the geopolitics and the prices will fluctuate, yet they need to maintain profitable and uh, plow through it as it happens. Amen. Thank you very much, Stefan. Sorry to cut you off. We have to end. I want to say thank you to Valerie Jalefka at Accenture, Chris Niven at IDC, and Stefan Lozon at SAP, and to Brent Potts and Ginger Shimp, who helped to put this topic together. Michael and the Business Channel team, thank you very much. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt, especially if you're watching a drone overhead going out to solve problems on an oil rig. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Digital Industries, Changing the Game, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.